Tonight, I'm sorry, let me pray first. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, and I just want to thank you for your love and your grace, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would open the hearts of all these men, Lord, open our hearts and open our minds, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just speak the words you want to speak, Lord, and let my words be few and let them be yours, Father. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Genesis chapter 29 tonight. As you might recall from our study last week, Jacob had been sent on a long journey. Actually, it was a journey of over 400 miles. So depending on how fast he traveled, he's probably been out there for at least a month, maybe a few months. And it was his first trip away from home. No servants to care for him. No family. And I imagine being away from his mother was very difficult for him. Yeah, he was a mama's boy. He was most likely about uh, 75 years old, so, but he still was a mama's boy. Sadly, he never see his mother again. He would see his father when he returned 20 years later. But now he was on his own with no one to help him and no one to guide him. He was on the run because his brother had threatened to kill him and at the same time looking for a wife. He was scared, he was tired, and he was headed to a place he'd never been to. Not sure when he would get there and not sure what to expect when he did arrive. This was probably the first time he ever traveled on his own. As we look back to Genesis chapter 28, verse 11, it says, So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, grabbed a stone, put it at his head, and lied down to go to sleep. Imagine what may have been going through his mind as he looked up at the stars. Most likely he was scared. He was feeling abandoned, wishing he was back home and worried about what tomorrow would bring. Do you think he was looking up, reflecting on God's awesome creation? Perhaps. Maybe he was recalling some of the stories shared with him by his family. The story of his grandfather and God's covenant that he made with his grandfather Abraham. How about the faith his grandfather demonstrated when he offered his father Isaac as a sacrifice at Mount Moriah? These are all oral stories that were passed down to him. Or the story of how God blessed his father with a bride, his mother Rebecca, from the same place he was headed to. So, feeling confident, having learned of God's faithfulness firsthand, what do you guys think? I don't think, I don't think so. But then God reached out to him in a dream, and he reinforced the covenant he had made with his grandfather Abraham. So let's turn back to Genesis 28.13 before we move on. Let's go back a page here to 28.13. Notice all the things that God told Jacob. First he said, I am the Lord your God. 
He said, I'm going to give you and your descendants all this land. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Check out the last sentence of verse 15. God said, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. He didn't say until we have done what I have spoken to. What I have spoken to you. So, Now turn back a little further to chapter 15, if you will. Chapter 15, uh, verse 7 through 18. This is something that I, was, that I had read preparing to teach chapter 22 last year. Genesis 15, chapter six, verse 7. What's described in verses 9 through 17 was known as cutting a covenant. This ritual involved the death of animals and the binding of a people to a promise, to a contract. The persons making this covenant would sacrifice several animals and divide the bodies, placing the halves on opposite sides, opposite each other on the ground. Then the parties would walk through the pieces of sacrifice in declaration that if they failed to keep their word, they deserve the same fate as the animals. You guys remember reading this? But Abraham's experience was different. He killed the animals, laid them on the ground, and spent the rest of the day fighting off the birds of prey that were attracted to the flesh and blood. And then when the sun went down, he fell asleep. And God then appeared to him and spoke to him. But notice what happens in verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. God alone passed between the parts of the sacrifice. It was God who made the promises to Abraham. It wasn't Abraham who made the promises to God. There were no conditions attached. God's covenant, the covenant of grace, came from the generous heart of God. He was going to do it. So as Pete said last week, God doesn't need Jacob or us to complete his plans. God's work is done in spite of us. So like, like Jacob, God gives us a choice, a choice to participate in God's plans or to do it on our own. One more thing before we get started in chapter 29. One of the first things that Jacob did after God appeared to him was to build an altar and make a vow to God. Remember that? His, uh, his if, or you could translate it since, uh, you have done these things. You know, this was just Jacob's way of demonstrating his thankfulness in somewhat of a religious manner. He had just had one of the most amazing experiences of his life, a meeting with God, and in return for God's promises, he felt he had to do something to return or earn that favor. He didn't understand the concept of God's grace. God wanted him to move forward in faith. I can relate to this because like many of 
many of you, I came from a Catholic background, a religion where I felt that I had to do something to earn God's favor, a religion that was based around church dogma and practices that weren't and still aren't biblical. What a relief to learn many years later that I was not saved by my works or my religion. Amen? Our Bible says, God's word, not man, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Ephesians 2.8 So God wants us to live a life of faith in Him, not ourselves. Trusting in Him, following Him, praying, praying to Him, and worshiping Him. And as we get into chapter 29, we will see clearly if Jacob lives a life of faith. We'll see if Jacob looks to God for guidance or does things on his own. Bless you. We will see if God, we'll see if Jacob prays to God for guidance or moves forward based on his own emotion, his own knowledge. We will see if Jacob chooses the journey God had intended him or he takes the long way, a 20-year journey. So this was a movie, I would say, spoiler alert, but we all know what happens. We've all read the book. We know the end of the story. Jacob doesn't pray. He doesn't demonstrate much of, if any, faith in God. And most tragically, he reaps the consequences for failing to do so. In fact, after his amazing visit from God in chapter 28 and Jacob's vow to him afterwards, in chapter 9, we don't read of Jacob, we don't read of Jacob speaking or praying to God at all. So let's turn to chapter 9 and we'll read it together. 29, I'm sorry. All right. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well... They watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So, they, so he said to them, Is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass... When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father, then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. 
So Laban, so he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and flesh, bone of, you are my bone and flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel's was beautiful of form and appearance. And appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening when, that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not your Rachel that I served you for? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you have which you will serve me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. I'm going to stop there. So Jacob departed on his journey. That, that phrase, departed on his journey, or went on his journey, means he had a lift in step. One of the commentators I read described this as a yellow brick road moment. Yeah. I tried to think of a word picture for you guys, and the first thing that came to mind was uh, Andy and Opie walking back from the fishing hole. And we know that whistle, you know it was good. Anyway, Jacob's now had, Jacob now had a new attitude, an attitude of promise and high expectations, and he was pumped up. He was ready to go. So he arrived at the land of the people of the east, the land of Haran, where his mother Rebecca was from. And in verse 2 it says, He looked and he saw a well in the field, a well or a river, will always be a place where people gather at least twice a day. Usually in the morning, then later on in the evening. It was a daily source of life for people and their animals. It was a meeting place. Today we call it Starbucks. <laughs> so imagine, this must have been a pretty exciting moment for Jacob. He traveled 400 miles, and finally he sees what might be his destination. Keep in mind, all he had to go by were landmarks. There weren't signs, you know, now entering Iran or whatever. So, do you think he remembered the story his father Isaac told him about how his servant met his mom, Rebecca, at the well? 
maybe. What did Isaac's servant first do when he came upon the well that Jacob did not? He prayed, right. In chapter, in chapter 22, verse 12, he prayed, O Lord God, master of my... O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. He also prayed in very specific detail for the young woman that he would eventually take to Isaac to be his bride. So keep, keep this in mind as we read, as we see how the events of this chapter unfold. Jacob, Jacob was an older man, like I said, probably about 75, but still very immature. Up to this point in his life, he had relied on the advice of his family, most often his mother. Yet now he was on his own. He's renewed by the encounter with God, but he still had a lot to learn. So there were three flocks of sheep and, of course, three shepherds. And he starts up a conversation with them. And uh, he says, well, let me back up. Just an important thing. The well, it mentions that the well was covered by a stone. Usually the, the wells were covered by a flat stone with a hole in it like a donut. And then on that stone there was a bigger, larger stone. Okay. So he, so he walks up to the shepherds and says in verse 4, My brethren... Where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. So now Jacob knew he was in the right neighborhood, the land where his relatives lived. Then he asked them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is he well? And they replied, he is well. Real, real talkative group, huh? <laughs> now, you know, asking if, he, if someone was well, that was a way of saying... Is he prospering? Does he prosper? Okay. So they said, he's well. And look, here comes Rachel, his daughter. is coming with the sheep. So, J- so Jacob says, look, you know, it's noontime. It's, time, it's not time for the cattle to be here. Water your sheep and take them out to the pasture and feed them. In other words, get lost. Go away so I can be alone with Rachel. But they said, Verse 8, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came up. So she arrived with her father's sheep, evidence that Laban was prospering. He had some livestock and she was a shepherdess. So in, in verse 10 we read, It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So Jacob saw Rachel, and look what he does next. He was strong enough to, to roll that stone that usually took a few shepherds to handle. Then he proceeded to water the entire flock. So, show off, that's right, so... This must have, must have impressed Rachel to see how strong he was, and I'm sure later then that she told her father what had happened. Information that Laban would use against him. He knew Jacob had a thing for his daughter Rachel, and he was very strong, someone he could use on the ranch for the next 20 years. 
Quite impressive. Unfortunately, Jacob relied on what? His own strength, not God's. His actions were based on emotion, desire, pride, not the will of God. So let's stop for a minute and just kind of think of what the next 20 years of Jacob's life would have been like had he stopped and prayed to God instead of stepping out on his own. Could his time in Haran have been a lot shorter like his, like Abraham's servant when he went in search for a bride of Isaac? Of Isaac? Could God have changed his heart and given him a desire for Leah? Would God have eventually blessed him with Rachel? Who knows how this journey would, would have turned out? Kind of like the movie Groundhog Day. Sometimes I think about that movie Groundhog Day, getting a chance to do things over and over. We don't know. We don't know. Think of the journeys God has seen you guys through. Some of them have been pretty long. Some of them we've, we've learned things the hard way, right? But we're here, thank God. So verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. This wasn't a romantic kiss like a typical scene out of a movie. It was, a common, it was common to greet your relatives with kisses on the cheek. You'd do the same when he met Laban. And he wept. Why? I can't say for sure. Perhaps he was relieved to, find, to know that he finally found his family. Maybe he was just overcome with emotion for Rachel. We can only guess. I don't know. The text doesn't answer the question. Then he proceeded to tell Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. In other words, I'm your cousin. So Rachel ran and told her father Laban. So when Rachel told Laban about meeting his nephew, Jacob ran to meet him. Laban was probably thinking, here comes my rich nephew, reflecting on the visit of Isaac's servant about 100 years ago. So he embraced him, he kissed him, he brought him back to his house, and it said, it says here that, so Jacob told him all these things. What do you think he told him? Think he told him everything? No? I think so. You know why I think so? Because it says so right at the end of verse 13. What does it say? He told him all these things. Quite profound, huh? He told him about the dream he had. He told him that God had reaffirmed the covenant that he had promised to his grandfather Abraham. He told him what God had promised him in verse 15 of chapter 28. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. He told Laban how he and his mother conspired and connived to ensure that Jacob received the blessing from Isaac. How he stole it from his brother Esau. That he was on the run because his brother had threatened to kill him as soon as his father died. 
So by the end of the night, Laban could see clearly that Jacob wasn't doing very well. Although Laban came from a prosperous family, he came empty-handed. No camels, no jewelry, zip. So verse 14 reads, And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my you are bone you are my bone and flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. Before we go to verse fifteen, let's consider what may have happened during this month. Laban, the master schemer, was probably disappointed that Jacob had arrived empty handed. Here he had two daughters and a young man or seventy five year old man with no dowry. He was family, so Laban had invited him to stay as a guest, at least for the first month. I'm thinking Laban used this month to size him up and think about what he could get from his nephew. We know he was strong. He was able to move that big stone by himself. And most importantly, in verse 18, we read that Jacob loved Rachel. I'm sure that during this month, Jacob didn't hide his feelings nor his attraction for Rachel. So now the 20-year payment plan is initiated. Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Laban, Laban asked Jacob what he should pay him for his service. Trying to sound generous, but basically saying, You're not staying here for free, buddy. So this was his, the beginning of his 20 years of submission to Uncle Laban. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel's was, was beautiful of form and appearance. Leah meaning weary and Rachel meaning you or you lamb, E-W-E lamb. It says Leah's eyes were delicate. The word delicate can mean soft, weak, or perhaps even blue eyes. Notice the word delicate was used as a comparative contrast indicated by the word but. It says, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. I read this to mean that Rachel was beautiful of form also, and she was beautiful in appearance. I say this because of what happens in verse 23 when Laban pulls the switcheroo and and, uh, sneaks Leah in the tent. I'm thinking they must have been similar in form, that is, have the same types of bodies. Otherwise, you would think that Jacob would have noticed, right? Right, right, yeah. Okay, well, I'll leave that there for now. (laughs) So Jacob loved Rachel. He was in love. So what does he do now? He offered to work seven years for Rachel, a dowry to Laban for his daughter. But seven years was a lot. Two to four was usually the going rate. Notice Jacob specifically says, for your younger daughter. Perhaps that's why he made such a generous offer. What did Jacob fail to do before he responded to Laban's offer? Here you go. This was a major decision and he failed to pray. You know, when I stand up here and teach to you guys, and I, and I may ask you you questions, and I'm asking me questions. You know, every, every morning, uh, I don't know what, what your routine is, but I try to get up earlier than I want to and pray and, and read before I'm off to work. But sometimes I get up and 
I get distracted and pretty soon I'm out the door and I didn't I didn't do the reading, I didn't do the praying that I should have. What a what an awesome opportunity we have every morning or all through the day and do we do we take care do we take advantage of it? So his response was a result again of his own emotion, his own will and his own desire. So Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Notice he doesn't say we got a deal, or I agree. Laban says it's better to give her, that I give her to you than I should give her to another man, leaving himself an out for when he deceives Jacob. It doesn't say here, but he, he could probably say, I didn't say that. I didn't say I would give you. I didn't agree to that. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. This was an indication of how much he looked forward to taking her as as his wife. So these seven years are up, and the next verse, verse 21, Jacob says, Give me my wife. Not, please give me my wife. You think Laban was aware that the seven years had been fulfilled? Yeah. Jacob was sure. You know, I've been waiting for this woman for seven years, and I can't wait any longer. I want her. I want her now. It's time for the honeymoon. <laughs> so Laban gathered together all the men of the, of the place and made a feast. A, a wedding feast was a week-long event. Lots of food, lots of wine. So it came to pass that evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. So that night, instead of taking Rachel, he took Leah. And I think about Leah's um, willingness to go. But in this culture, the young women had to submit to the authority of their father. I'm not trying to say that Leah went, went kicking and screaming. She was implicit in this deception. As for Rachel, it must have been a surprise for her, huh? Daddy, why are you doing this? You promised. I can see <clears throat> I can see Laban telling her, It's only for a week. I'll give you Jacob next week, okay? <laughs> so a bride was presented to by the father, and her face was covered by a veil, and her body was usually covered from head to toe. It was dark, and she probably wore Rachel's clothes and had Rachel's scent on her. Sound familiar? Yeah. And the wine didn't help. Do you remember the point I suggested about them having similar bodies back in verse 17? Well, well... Sure, the tent may have been dark and maybe Jacob had too much wine, but if they hadn't been sim similar in shape, otherwise, I don't know. I'm just saying. Think about it. That's all I'll say there. So Jacob went into her and he consummated the marriage. And Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. Verse 25. The next morning... Jacob wakes up, stretches out his arms, lets out a big yawn, says, man, I slept good. He looks over and sees who? 
he had been deceived in the same way that he had deceived his father Isaac. What is this you have done to me? Echoing the words of Esau when he was deceived. Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Jacob was fooled. He had been fooled. Why then have you deceived me? The deceiver had been deceived. And he now felt the pain his father and brother felt when he deceived them. Turn to Galatians 6 for me. Galatians 6 verse 7 and 8. In today's lingo, we'd call this what goes around comes around. Or the chickens have come home to... I never understood what that means. And for and for Stephen and Don and Louis, Luis, instant karma is going to get you. <laughs> Just wanted to speak your language. You understood it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will reap of the flesh. He will, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Job 4.8 says, even, if I, even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. You know, there's, there's several examples of retribution in the Bible. Here's just a few. In Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh killed all the Hebrew children by how? Drowning. In Exodus 14, all of the Egyptian army was killed how? Drowning. Okay. How about Korah? In number 16, Nora creates a cleft in the congregation, a division. How was he judged? Yeah, cleft in the earth opens up and swallows up. How about Haman? Haman prepared the gallows for Mordecai. I remember this story from VeggieTales. <laughs> Who ended up being the test dummy on this setup? Right? Even Paul. Paul, then known as Saul of Tarsus, was present at the stoning of Stephen. What happened at Lystra in Acts 14? He got stoned and left for dead. Yep. And Barnabas was spared. And finally, Jacob deceived Isaac by using the skins of kids of goats on his hands and neck. In Genesis 37, Jacob's sons deceive him concerning his favorite son Joseph by showing him what? The blood of kids of goats on Joseph's coats, leading him to believe that Joseph was killed. Do not be deceived. God is not Back to the story here. Laban says, It must not be done in so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. This was a lame excuse, but I'm sure it reminded Jacob of what he and his mom had done to his father Isaac and Esau. So he told Jacob, Fulfill her week, spend the week with her, complete the honeymoon. Then he said, And we will give you this one also. He refers to his daughter Rachel as this one. That Laban and his daughters were merchandise. They were bartering chips. And then what does Laban do? 
he told him, he didn't ask him, what she would cost. Another seven years. So Jacob did so, fulfilled her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. So Jacob fulfilled her week as asked. Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife also. And now Jacob had two wives. He also gave Rachel a maid, Bilhah. He now had two maids in the tent also, and two wives. Laban had him serving for another seven years, and he got rid of four women for whom he no longer had to feed or shelter. Pretty good deal. (laughs) Yes, Jacob took the long route and did it the hard way. Fourteen years, and his journey isn't over yet. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So he consummated his marriage to Rachel, and they lived happily ever after. It says he loved Rachel more than Leah, which introduced a whole new set of problems in the tent. Two wives, two maids, one man all in one tent. Like Pete said last week, a soap opera. So what can we learn from tonight, guys? What was the, what was the main thing that... I'm sorry? Don't lie. Don't lie. Yes, that's right. Don't lie. What was the main thing that... Pray. 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 That's right. Prayer. Prayer. Our wives are learning about prayer this year. Think about prayer, one of the most powerful things in our arsenal. And how much more can we all do? How much more can we all do? Not only in the morning, not only in the evening, not only when we have a meal. I'll confess to you, there are some times where, you know, I may have prayed in the morning, I may have you know, done some reading, I may have, uh, you know, done what I one or two in the morning. I'm thinking back to my Catholic days now, being religious here. But I lie my head down on the pillow and I'm thinking, man, you didn't even think about God today. You didn't even thank Him for all the little things. You didn't ask Him for guidance today. So, that's that's one of the, one of the things that I think we should get out of tonight. The other thing is um, understanding that God is merciful God wants to forgive us. But he also wants to teach us. And sometimes he has to teach us the hard way. I've woken up on the floor of a jail cell. I learned from it. Thank God. I could have been the headline of, you know, man kills family of five while driving drunk. But I'm here. Why? God. Not me. I know you all have stories out there. You all have things that you've lived through and maybe are still living through. But keep in mind that consequences are one thing and condemnation is another. Condemnation doesn't come from God. If you're in a position right now where you're paying, you're paying for something that you did, bad decision you made or still making, 
don't be condemned. Turn, turn around. Reach out to God and ask him for help. Are the consequences going to still be there? Yes. Will they be severe? Maybe. Will God show you mercy and, and not give you the consequences you deserve? I'd say you might, might, you might get that. Proverbs 29, 1. Let's see here. Proverbs 29, 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That's a scary verse. I'm... I'm, I'm driving along, walking along through life, and I know I got things I got to clear up with the Lord and I got to turn on and my neck is hard. I don't want to be destroyed. Don't play with God's mercy. If you guys are if you guys are here tonight and you're struggling with something, maybe you've, you're living a life that you shouldn't be. Maybe you did something this past weekend that you shouldn't have done. Maybe you're like me, just thinking, "Man, I got to do a better life, better, better job as a husband. I got to do a better job as a father. I got to give more of my life to the Lord. Do it. It's not too late. You guys know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's not going to change until you do it." God's there. You just have to reach out to him. Don't don't waste any more time. Tonight, like I said in the beginning, if you want to pray with with one of us, anybody here. Doesn't have to be me, it doesn't have to be a pastor. Pray with us. Make that decision. Don't waste any more time. Look at the world around us. Jesus is coming soon. Very soon. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you just for what you've, what you've allowed us to hear, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the hearts and the minds here, Lord, especially mine, would take your, your word to heart, Lord, and not play around, Lord. We wouldn't waste any more time, Lord. Help us to live for you, Lord. Help us to pray to you, to to fellowship with you and worship you, Lord, and just have communion with you even stronger and stronger every day that we might live the life you want us to live, Lord. Allow us to receive your blessings, Lord. Help us to be obedient, Lord. Help us to hear your Holy Spirit when we're tempted. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.